the Springfield Civic Auditorium. It's The Simpsons 138th Episode Spectacular. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone is keeping well in the world right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Keeping warm, I hope, and uh, getting in your last tomatoes in this rationed world of no tomatoes and veg bleak Britain. <laughs> is, it, is this actually a thing? Because I, I saw, I'm sure I saw some tomatoes the other day when I was in there. When Admittedly, things happened afterwards, but I, I'm pretty sure that I've seen tomatoes this week. And maybe it's, maybe that's what caused your for your falls. You were in such shock. Well, I had, I had a brain aneurysm aneurysm because I saw tomatoes in the wild. <laughs> um, hmm. I think I think it was I think this was like a one day news thing because I was down in um, like Bath and beyond, not the. the <laughs> not the not the shop, shop. <laughs> Wiltshire, and there was uh, vegetables aplenty. So I'm not sure that this is um, this news story has much validity. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. I think it's it's we've been we've been caught victim of the scare story again. Let's stay away, stay away from it all. Hello, everyone. It's the best thing to do, gents. It's been a quiet old week around cage fighting towers. I think so. Uh, <laughs> how have been 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 keeping, Matt? You've been away. Anything interesting? Um, yeah, it's just a, a rare weekend off with um, with the good ladies. So we went down Wiltshire Way, went to Bath, or Bath as they call it, um, for the first time ever. It was, it's actually a really beautiful city. Um, mm-hmm. well, went through it, and I was um, I was surprised that it had like a real Italian feel to it. And then I then I realised stupidly, of course, I shouldn't be shocked because it's all the Roman baths and all of that. <laughs> kind of stuff. Um, and then. We obviously went in, we went into the Roman Baths, did all that tour. Uh, far more interesting experience than I thought it was going to be. To be honest, it was really really good. Um, and then we went to Longleat today for the Safari Park, and that was uh, it was pretty good. To be fair, really enjoyable. Though we curtailed the monkey bit because we were in the van and we didn't want it to be ripped to shreds. <laughs> as, um, as we saw a few people with like hanging off windscreen wipers and stuff like that to, uh, as as they came out of there. So it was pretty good, pretty good job we didn't. That sounds awesome. Stu, yourself, get up to anything interesting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other than the, the, the passing out and having a seizure in Aldi, just your usual affair. Um, <laughs> it, it, to be fair, being serious, the... Um, the actual hospital people were very good with me. Too. They were couldn't fault them. Not one moan at all. Got seen, got taken away in a nice ambulance, all nice and warm and padded. Um, not not one of them padded ambulances. <laughs> <laughs> just 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 put that right there. Um, yeah, it was very nice experience as these things go. Um, took in, got checked over, went in the little CT machine. Never done that before. That was that was fun. Is that um, the do- is that the donut or is that the one that clangs above your head? No, that's just the head one, not the full the full body one, just the head one. Um, and then yeah, then sat down, had some food, um, did some blood tests on me, 
got let out the same night. <laughs> all all nice, nice and pleasant. But yeah, can't can't fault them. I mean, some of the shit that they have to put up with in there is beyond ridiculous. Mm. I mean, there was people trying to fight them for no reason at all. Like, just let them get on with their jobs. It's hard enough dealing with all these dickheads and people falling over, let alone anything else. Um, but yeah, patience of saints in there. No problem whatsoever. Superb. But, We're glad to hear that you're uh, you're doing better anyway, mate. Yeah. And I watched I watched Clarkson Farm too as well. So that was the uh, that, that was a good part about it. <laughs> well, I've had a riveting weekend reading the Black Country Housing Market Assessment final report. <laughs> it's been wild. Did you know, gents? This is her 138th episode spectacular, which is a reference that Stu won't get, but Matt will understand the the importance of this one. I was very tempted to do like a Troy McClure style entrance well, on it. I, I wondered if this was going to be laden with as a clip show now. Um, which seems to be the, the going thing with these kind of uh, with these kind of shows as well. Well, I, I was originally going to do a clip show, but um, I've booked to go to New York in about six weeks' time, so might put a clip show out that week, or we might even do a gamescast because we do have one of those coming up. So we'll play it by here and and, and see how it goes. Anyway, we'll get on to the news, which this week should just be called Sequel, Sequel, Sequels, The Sequel, because there's been like a dozen fucking films that have been announced as getting sequels. I've picked a dozen. There's still about another half a dozen more that have been announced as well, but they're all films that we've got very little interest in. Um, first up, though, the man who seems to only exist in existing IP, Vin Diesel, <laughs> is bringing back Riddick in Riddick Furia. I have no idea if Fury is an existing character. I've not seen any of those films. It means nothing to me. It feels very new metal 2001. No offense, Matt, but um, it's got it's got that sort of feel to it. Is anybody dying to see this film in 2023? Matt, what do you think? Uh, I don't think anyone's clamoring for it, but like, on, on, on the outside of it, like if you look at the Chronicles of Riddick and you look at like just what it's about, so just the about on Google, Richard Riddick, a convict with a price on his head, must face the Necromongers, a race of religious fanatics who are systematically conquering planets. It sounds amazing, and I think that they might be like just trying to cash in on maybe an idea rather than the existing IP side of things. Um, I don't think anyone's rushing out apart from like a cult audience for it. Um, mm. I can't see it being like having much of a, unless they really throw the budget at marketing it, I can't see it being a big splash. No, I mean, honestly, when I think of Riddick, I think of Prisoners of the Ghostland. Just with a budget. I don't know what it is, but I get that kind of vibe with it. Stu, what are your thoughts on this one? It would have been fine if it was 15 years ago. Um, It just seems very... You don't really want to say cynical, do you? But that's what it feels like. It's a cash grab, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, it's... Oh, Fast and Furious is over now. What else is he going to do? Oh, let's get Riddick back off the shelf. That's that's what it seems. And it was fine back then. It's been a long time since I saw them, and I didn't play the games because they were on Xbox, and I didn't have one at the time. Um, apparently, they're good. So um, there might be something to that. But yeah, seems very much 
Money, money, money. That is the only reason. Mm. Uh, Plane is getting a sequel called Ship, would you believe it? (laughs) (laughs) Mike Coulter is back, but there's no word at the moment on Gerard Butler. But he does seem like the kind of guy who will do anything for a schlocky B-movie paycheck. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's back. Stu, you're the only one so far of the group who's seen Plane. Um, what should the third film in the trilogy be called? What mode of transport? And is it worth a viewing? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely worth a viewing. It's it's exactly what it says on the tin. You know how stupid it is going into it. Mm. Um, if you went in without with as little knowledge as possible, it's probably the best because you ain't going to get many surprises outside of the trailer as per usual. Um, and there's a reason why this one is called he's on this one on his own because of kind of what happens. Um, but I mean, you'd think that automobiles is going to be the third one, surely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Toy Story five is a go. They gave us the perfect ending in three. They got away without hurting the franchise in four. I'm kind of interested to see how much Toy Story Five is going to tar- like going to hit the target demographic, the kids. Is this at this point just going to be for adults who grew up the original series? Is there a place for this film? Should we be moving on? Like Matt, where do you stand on on number five here? It's a tough one because um, it's a tough one because I prior to me seeing Puss in Boots. I'd have said there's no hope for these kind of films where they're just churning out content and they'll, you know, and it's clearly just another opportunity to fill either a streaming platform's time or just get another, you know, get more blood from the stone. But after I watched Puss in Boots, I had no right being as good as it was out of an eye, out of a <laughs> franchise that had died a death. I've got no like idea anymore on what is right or what is wrong about these things. The fact that they got away with four makes me think that it's probably like a franchise they shouldn't return to but the fact that like toy story 4 had moments that were way deeper than it was meant to be or or ever had the right to be as well i think it's probably okay as long as they maybe approach it in a more um i don't know thematic sense i guess Mm. Stu, they've been selling toys of the the next Toy Story movie, and rather than Andy scrawled on the feet, it's got Bonnie. How does that sit with you, knowing that like we've th- this the generation has now moved on? It is very much staying at the age it was originally, and it's trying to pass the baton almost. I think now. How are you feeling about this one? I mean, we're gonna give it twenty years. There'll be Bonnie's kids with their name on it, weren't they? We know how this is going to go now. Um, I didn't like the first, fourth one at all, did I, at, at the time? Because it looked too real. Mm. It kind of the magic was not there. It wasn't a. It it passed the the veil of, well, say it was that that weird thing where it's too real, but it it didn't look like a Toy Story film, did it? That was the point. It's it, the uncanny it, valley, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I, I was going to say. Uncanny Valley, but it's not quite because you kind of know that anyway. Um, it was just something about it. It just didn't seem like it didn't fit in with the rest. The other three and the two shorts didn't look like that one. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing number five is going to look like number four. So this is just the way the world is now, I suppose. that we have to, we, We've got no choice in these things. We have to have them all. Um, it's just a bit sad. Because like you said, three wrapped it up perfectly and was very emotional at the time. Mm. And now it's all been kind of undone again. And it kind of had an ending at the end of four. You think, oh, okay, that's enough now. Where what is going to happen now? It just I don't know. It just it, it maybe we're just too old and cynical for these things any, any, anymore. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> uh, we're getting Gladiator Two. I mean, there's been talk about Gladiator Two for quite some time, but it's going to start filming this summer with Paul Mescal. Um, I believe he's playing the the main role. I don't know if it's going to include Russell Crowe whatsoever. I've not really looked that deep into it. Um, but yeah, Stu, um, big fan of the original or not something you're that interested in? Sword and Sandals, eh? So, uh, of course, it's my, my <laughs> kind of thing. Especially back then as well, when there, were, there wasn't really anything out about that kind of thing, really. It was almost like, um, I'm going to say a first of its kind, but it, it was really its first of its kind of anything like that. Because we didn't have any, it was still a couple of years before Lord of the Rings, I think, was it? Um, or very two thousand two thousand and one something yeah, like that I believe. Yeah, so similar kind of time. Um, so yeah, it it was other than the the, the car and the uh, that's visible in if it, you ain't got the edited version <laughs> of the uh, the Blu-ray, but yeah, it's it's another one of them. That it's been so long since I saw it, I kind of don't want to watch it again because I don't want it ruining it because I really enjoyed it the first time round. And the second time when it came out on Blu-ray. So intrigued because there was a lot of that world that could be explored in a, in a sensible way. But there's obviously a reason why it hasn't happened for nearly 20-odd years. you got to worry about that, really. Yeah. Uh, Matt, are you in for Gladiator 2? I think so. I don't think we, like, I don't think we get those kind of stories... That often, a on a grand scale that that, that that it was, and b like of that world and the em- empires and stuff like that. So, I think yeah, I'd be I'd, I'd be trepidatious at thinking what are they going to do with it. But at the same time, I think we don't get those epic stories all that often. I think, mm-hmm. especially in this you know the popcorn cinema world that we have at the moment with endless sequels, as we're talking about now. The irony, so. Yeah, I think I'd. Um, I think we'd look forward to seeing it. Mm, I feel like it's the kind of story where they don't need to have any links to the original. They can just tell a story set in that world, mm-hmm. and especially with it being Ridley Scott writing directing. Like, I've got fairly high hopes that it will be um, an interesting piece, nonetheless. One that does give me pause for thought is I Am Legend Two. Um, Will Smith is back this time with Michael B. Jordan, who I do like, but I'm not sure I'm interested in any more of that world when we've had an absolute plethora of a plethora even of zombie stuff, you know, ever since even before the first one. Matt, do you want this film? No, not really. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still suffering kind of, and I, and I haven't even watched The Last of Us yet, but I'm suffering end of the world fatigue at the <clears> moment. <throat> and I think it's, it's kind of been done to death and I'm still not quite, there with Will Smith either 
like not and not just because of the whole Oscars or where whatever award ceremony it was where he, um incident like after listening to his audio book and he's proper pompous and self-righteous and stuff and i'm just a bit off him at the moment so i'm not really rushing out to see or i won't be rushing out to see this anytime soon Stu, um thoughts on the first one thoughts on the second one i thought it was pretty shit really <laughs> the first one yeah it was I think but maybe because I'd listened to so many podcasts about it and they were building it up to be something that it never turned into, a bit like um, what happened with The Road as well, where obviously mm. that's a book that was almost untranslatable to film. They tried their best, didn't work. Maybe that's what happened with I Am Legend. I don't know. But I'd, it was just a bit shit. And I, I, I thought, well, is that it then? Is that it? And now it's not it. And I just don't care. It was, it was one of the, the very few films where I came out of it thinking I don't care about any of what I've just watched. Mm. Yeah, kind of hollow, wasn't it? I feel yeah. is the problem with it. Yeah, I agree completely. Agree. Uh, Nobody two. I absolutely loved the first Nobody film. It's a retired person's John Wick. Like on paper, it sounds awful. And like I like Bob Odenkirk. I think he's fantastic. He's a good comedic actor and even when he does dramatic roles he's still got that comedic line to him but I didn't think this was going to work at all and he absolutely smashed it so I'm really looking forward to seeing Nobody Part 2 I really hope they go as crazy as they sort of did with the John Wick films which obviously we've got the fourth one coming up soon as well so I'm really looking forward to that so that should be good uh, Cruella, Matt you're a big fan of the, the first one from what I remember so what are your mm. thoughts on, on getting a sequel because like, it feels like you know when you get a trilogy every now and again where the first film was clearly made to stand alone, it does well, so then they drag it out to three. It feels like that's the what's going to happen here. It doesn't feel like there's a need for any, any more films, but also it's Disney and Disney love a sequel. So what do you think, Matt? What Cruella lacked was her being so dastardly and mean and it not being justified. Um, so I think you get the option to do a reverse Terminator on her, and now she'd be the pr- <laughs> and now she'd be the proper villain in this one. Um, so I think that that is a good thing because Cruella was great, but it wasn't the film I expected it to be. It, you know, she wasn't the villain as such, mm. um, at least not in my understanding of it. Uh, it was a while ago since I've seen it, but um, I think now give the opportunity to tell that story, and I think that will then be a good point to go call it a day on it. Mm, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, Stu, Megan 2.0 is coming to our cinema screens at some point. Um, I think it's safe to say you probably enjoyed that one more than I did. So how are you feeling about a sequel? It was set up for a sequel, was it, at the, at the end? So as as these things tend to be now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, don't, I thought that you'd have been all over this. From the very start, mm. um, yeah. So I watched it. I thought, oh, this is because of how silly it was, and and how it, it was kind of playing on it a bit, like um, it wasn't quite Chucky, and it wasn't quite Terminator. It, it was, it was the exact amalgamation of both. And I thought, oh, this is going to get odds all over, but no, <laughs> apparently not. I, I, I didn't dislike it. I, I will say, like, I enjoyed myself, but very much in 
my problem was that it was neither of those things. It tried to be a bit of both, and it didn't quite hit either. Plus, there was barely any blood in it for what should be a horror. So I'm, I'm all for a sequel, so long as like they ramp it up and go a little bit more vicious, and she fights Chucky at the end. Like I'm, I'm in then if you give me that. Well, this is why I was confused. Well, confused when afterwards when they said that it originally was. Rated X or rated R or whatever, and it was toned down afterwards. And, well, what, what have you done that for? Well, it's... for hundred million dollars, I think, is the yeah. reason why. Well, it's done well, to be fair to it. Mm. I mean, for me, it didn't matter. I mean, you, the bit where she's doing the kind of the weird ballerina popping stuff in the in the hallway mm. that was that was creepier than any kind of blood anywhere. To see a, a robot doing that. Um, and he's got the whole thing, but yeah, uh, let's not spoil it. But yeah, bring it on. Good, good sequel time. This, this only good things can come from this because there's so much more and the other devices that she showed in that in her house, let alone in yeah. the office as well, um, that could come to life as well. Yeah, it, it, it could go in a, an incredibly silly way, mm. or it could go the fiendish way and be R rated. I, I, I don't know which way they're going to go with it. But either way is good for yeah. me because I enjoy the first one so much. I think if they go a little bit more like Happy Death Day 2. Like yeah, it, yeah, so yeah. I, yeah. I, felt so, I enjoyed the first one, but it wasn't enough. Whereas the second one really leaned into it and I enjoyed it so much more. And I think if Megan 2 does lean into it, especially if it goes more more scary than actiony, because the end is where it lost me a little bit, I think. So, yeah, if we get more horror, then, yeah, sign me up all day long. Another film that I know that you enjoyed, Stu, Violent Night is getting a sequel. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed it. I do fear a sequel might be stretching the B-movie plot thinner than it can sustain. What do you think of a sequel there? Uh, um, again, it's kind of teed up for it, isn't it? So you've got to hope that they had a sequel in mind when they were making the first, and that it's not just something that's been given leeway there to tack on afterwards if if in some weird world they were doubting that it would make a, a bit of a profit for them. But because it was one of the surprises of last year, how good that film actually was for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've kind of done the the Home Alone thing. They can't do that again. So what do they do now? Do they get, do they get Donald Trump in and get do Home Alone 2? It's, it's like, <laughs> it, I, I can't see how they can do it any better than what they've already done so far. So mm. if it's more of the same, then fine. But it's like, diminishing returns is the worry, though, isn't uh, it? How far do you push it before it just, well, it's just another one of these Christmas films? Mm. Matt, I, I, I know that you're not massively into Christmas films, but this was one that you had uh, fun with, if I remember rightly. Yeah, I, I, I would leave it where it is, though. I think they struck, they struck unlikely gold and lightning very rarely strikes twice. So I would prefer them to just leave it as it is and let it be a beautiful thing that is a Christmas miracle in itself because it had, you know, I don't think anybody expected it to be any good. Um, and I think a lot of people thought it was riding on the crest of a wave of Hopper from Stranger Things. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, you know, I prefer to kind of let let it lie now and, and leave, it, leave it alone. Yeah, I completely agree. I th- 
I understand why they're doing it, but at the same time, I kind of don't want them to. But never mind. Uh, Matt, number three isn't out yet, but number four has been greenlit for Creed. I get the impression this is the type of film that the more chapters of Creed we get, the the happier you'll be, Matt. Yeah, but if they're following the Rocky playbook, they're already... uh, they're already, they've already jumped the shark, so to speak. Because okay. if they, if if three is if three is almost Rocky Five, in that it's some of you know it's not about titles, it's about person, it's a, it's a personal issue. They could, the only thing they can do with four is that he loses all of his money and he's fighting for pure the love of the game again, as opposed to anything else. And I just think, ah, oh, there's, there's only so like there's only so many swings at this you can have before it becomes like silly like they they've they've had it really good so far and i think i think this one will be a triumph as well the one that's coming out now but to announce like four already just makes me think that you know surely they want to get the reaction to this and see how this is and how it's received and how the audience you know appreciate the story and stuff before they green you know for another one's greenlit so I don't know. This is a strange one. There's only so many of these stories that you can tell, and it's okay that they like all have a link to the to the Rocky films in terms of like what stories they are. I don't mind that at all, but there's a reason why you know they progressively get worse. The Rocky stories, <laughs> do you know <laughs> what I mean? And don't don't let it happen to these ones as well. Mm, okay, um, and finally, Labyrinth Two. Like it's been in development hell for a generation at this point. It was supposed to have been out in the 80s and then another one in the 90s and almost every year since. Um, I've read quite a lot of the comic book runs that they've done as like supposed sequels to it and they, they are great fun. But I've got no interest in seeing any more Labyrinth on screen, like especially without David Bowie. It feels kind of pointless. Uh, Stu, thoughts on a, another Labyrinth? Mm, yeah, similar really, similar... I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to get Sam Smith on there. That's that's the closest to visually you're going to get before you go into all that nonsense that's going on with him. It's not going to be the same, is it? It's too late. Leave it alone. Yeah, I agree. Matt, you haven't seen it for a long time. I remember you saying before we recorded. Like, do you have any interest? I mean, because there are going to be people who saw it as a child and now this is coming along. 30 plus years later is, is this something at all that you'd be interested in it wouldn't be something i'd be interested in but sadly Stu is right about these things and top gun maverick proved that there's an audience for mm. this kind of thing that is so beloved for a particular generation um the the issue is it you know have you got the the cast now to be able to to replicate what was considered solid gold back then. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I don't think I don't think you have. I don't think you've got the same. Like it wouldn't have the same charm. I, I don't think. Whereas, like looking back on all of the really obvious calls back in Top Gun Maverick, it's fine because it's retro. It's not re- labyrinth. Isn't retro? Labyrinth is 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 cult and they're two different things. I don't, and I don't think, I just don't think it would work personally. Um, mm. And I, you know, 
it's it's it, it wouldn't appeal to me, but I'm sure there'd be a market for it, and that's probably what they are clinging onto if they are going to make it. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, nostalgia has been quite a big thing over the past sort of eighteen. I mean, it's always been a big thing, but I do feel like more so more now than ever they've really tried to get that sort of eighties dollar almost. That they've gone back to that well a fair few times, and I'm not a big fan of nostalgia at the best of times, to be perfectly honest. So I I just don't want this. Speaking of nostalgia, there's there's going to be a Twister sequel as well called Twisters. I'd not put it on yes. the list, but like, I mean, the first one's fine, but why, why do we need a sequel to that? Just bizarre. But again, it's just the nostalgia of it all, isn't it? Do you realise how big though? If you go on Netflix and like Earthstorm and Storm Chaser and all, all, whenever these things come on Netflix, they are number one for weeks on end. <laughs> People love this stuff. It's mad. To be fair, though, none are as good as Geostorm. Well, no, exactly. <laughs> that's why Geostorm can never be on there because it would never be <laughs> nothing else would ever get a chance that's it. but look, people love a twister people love a disaster so this is why it's going to happen and I mean, I, I've, been, I've been badgered recently to oh, can we watch Twister again I mean I watched it last year and it's not as good as you remember it no well, I wouldn't imagine it was because no, I don't it's, it being good anyway it was fighting but yeah it, it was disappointing but the Whereas that I can't see people being that excited for Labyrinth Two, Twister Two will absolutely get people in there, guaranteed. Just because <laughs> there's these 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 wannabe storm chasers who love this stuff, and you got a built-in audience right there. Mm. I, I I I don't disagree. People will go and see it, but mm, never mind. Anyway, that's the news. Matthew, have we had any listener questions in? We have indeed. Um, just a quick sidebar. You know what I thought was strange today? I um, I saw... You say you know how Netflix, if you leave it, the screensaver, it'll just be shows that yeah. are coming up and stuff like that. Well, oddly, do you remember that film Evolution? The game, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that came up. And it must be that it's now on Netflix. But and I was just like, "What? This is the strangest thing ever! Like, why is this appearing?" And so it wasn't even like it wasn't on my profile. It was on Sam's, and that would never come up on Sam's. <laughs> so it, they must think it's like a, a, a real. It, either it's people are watching it all of a sudden, or there's something around it, and I don't know what it is because I remember really enjoying that back in the day. It was silly, but I remember really enjoying yeah. it. So. Yeah, it's on, it's on Netflix if anybody cares to watch it. Head and um, shoulders up the ass. <laughs> but yes, uh, we have had some um, we have had some listener questions. Uh, let's go straight away. Matt Cunnington, if Nick Cage retires, who becomes the next Nick Cage? What a great question. Who is the overworked, underappreciated, cra- <laughs> crazy star of um, of the future generation? That's such a difficult question because. I don't want to say he's one of a kind, but he kind of is one of a kind, especially when you look at like the next generation of actors that are coming through. They're all very, very polished and know the right things to say. And they're all a little bit too clean cut. Whereas I think Cage has never been that. He's always been a bit of a loose cannon who's also known for being very professional on set. 
there aren't many people who've got that fine balance between the two currently working in, in Hollywood. I'm kind of stumped with that one. I really can't think of anyone. I mean, you'd say in, in the 90s, like, it'd be like someone like Robert Downey Jr. before he sorted himself out. Mm. In the... Uh... Yeah. Hmm. It's a tough one, isn't it? A really tough one. Um, might we want we have to come back to it another time, give us some thinking time to to ponder over this one. Um, Ash Dolan, how many films is too many films or shows before you start to get sick of the sight of a certain actor? I feel we're at this point with Dwayne and Tom Holland, but don't want to get to that point with Daddy Pedro despite our TV screens being dominated by him for three months. It's a very, very valid point. So how many is too many for oversaturation, Stu? Um, it depends what they're doing as well, though. If, if they're doing something very similar over and over again, then you've got to draw the line at two, are you? Because if you do two more than two things that are the, the same, then you're kind of typecasting yourself. Which we've seen this kind of thing happen before. Um, Daddy Pedro, though, he does everything. Though. He's, I think he might, he might be the exception to the rule, where he can <laughs> he can be serious for now, and then he's going to be serious, but with a mask on in in a few months' time. Um, hmm. I think if you if you're going down like three more than three or four films a year, that's where you really are pushing it. Hmm. And unless you're doing things like like this, where you we have to watch every Nick Cage film, you ain't going to get people watching every Nick Cage film, are you? If there's four a year, so I think three three's a sweet spot. Four's too much. Yeah, I, w- I mean, I'd, 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 I think we've mentioned this before. I'd asked uh, Chris Pratt to that list now. He's getting there, um, and um, Ryan Reynolds as well. He's on the list mm. of oversaturation. <laughs> The list. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, Stu's got it spot on. Really, it's not so much the quality of the work that they've put out; it's the quantity of it, and there's just no variation. Like, I mean, I I do I love Dwayne. Like we've spoke about it, but at the same time, how many times can I watch him play The Rock in Fast and Furious? Him play The Rock in Black Adam. He plays The Rock in every film, and he plays The Rock in. The young rock, like it's just <laughs> too much. The quality isn't there with some of the products either that they're putting out. Like Tom Holland, you mentioned Tom Holland's done a lot of stuff. He gets like thumbed into some performances that he's got no right in being in. Like Uncharted, he's not Nathan Drake by all accounts. He's he looks so out of place in that film. And again, the quality isn't there for him. Whereas with Pedro, I don't feel like we've seen him do anything or he hasn't had a run of bad performances and bad films. So I feel like as long as you've got people on your side, you can go for as long as you can, but if you're going to keep feeding them the same tired nonsense, people are eventually going to turn on you, which is what happened to the rock in wrestling. And it's what happening to the rock now in the real world. I think people are just getting tired of that same shtick and they want something a bit fresh from them. Mm-hmm. Fair. Fair. Uh, and finally, Andrew Wright, what is the longest delay you've had when trying to watch a film and what was the reason? Andy? I, um, <clears throat> for some reason, it took me about six months to watch um, 
Fight Club. I, I don't know what it was, but it was back in the day when on Sky they used to have a premiere film on a Saturday night at 10pm. And I think I watched the first 20 minutes, fell asleep. So I missed the rest of the film. And then about a week later, I ended up catching the last half an hour. But again, missed all of the middle. And for whatever reason, it took me about six months before I actually sat down and watched it all in one go. I think I'd seen the entire film by that point, but just in like 10 minute segments from here, there and everywhere. Because it was always on Sky at the same time. But yeah, for whatever reason, just never got around to, to seeing it. And the same happened or similar happened with Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann film. I remember renting it out and never watched it. I think, again, I think I fell asleep during the uh, the trailers and it was years later when it was on Sky that I finally watched it. Fair. Stu, what about you? What's the longest delay you've had when you were going to watch a film, but then it took you, it, you know, a really extortionate amount of time before you finally went to see it? I mean, I... I'd like to say the Kingsman films, but I haven't seen them yet, so it's going to be there. <laughs> oh, that I've actually got them. They're there. They're sit- literally sitting there on the top, ready to ready to be played next in this week. But then that happens, and uh, I, I, at this point, I might just just get burn them and give them away. It's never going. It's never going to happen for me. Um, I'm trying. To, I don't know actually, because it. It's one of them things where a lot of the time, if I don't watch it straight away, then I've got I'm just lose interest in it completely and won't bother. Um, hmm. It it was probably something for this, probably something that you've mentioned one of the one of the weird Andy films that we is mentioned <laughs> in the past that I, I've gone on to watch later on. Um, that I've I've wrote it down in my little in my little watch list on here, as well as the things for like knockback and stuff like that. Different podcasts I listen to, and then gone back and just checked the document. Best part of a year, eighteen months later, and then watched it then. So I'm guessing it's eighteen months between having an idea of watching something and then watching it later on. That's that's happened a few times. So I'll, I'll stay with that. Mm, it's a funny one that because when something gets the chance to die down and be out of the public conscious, it's something else just rolls along, yeah, and exactly. it can be very easy to fall out of like out of the scope of of watching something when it's out of the public sphere. And then I don't, you know, in, in this world of like everything being available to you streaming wise, when something then isn't available to stream, it all of a sudden just feels really obsolete. Because even like even like torrenting torrenting these days seems like a right ball ache. Because I'd rather just watch something that I have easy access to there and then. So I do know how you feel. Um, thank you, um, thank you everyone for your questions. Do appreciate them as always. And once again, if uh, if you ask it, we will answer it. And the sillier the better. Lovely. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll move on to the hot take corner now. So recently it was announced that the Roldar books were to be edited, removing certain words, which may sound unsavoury. For example, one line previously stated, she worked as a secretary or some other menial task aiding a businessman. Augustus Gloop is no longer fat, he's now enormous. Ugly, crazy, mad have all been removed. They've then changed the references to black tractors because apparently the term black as a colour is offensive. 
I don't quite get it if I'm perfectly honest, but obviously they've gone about editing the artwork of their grandfather or whoever he was to them uh, within the Dahl estate. It feels quite over the top if I'm perfectly honest, editing art, but the other way, or the other two ways which have recently come to light over the last few years, we've had films completely removed from streaming services such as Disney. I mean, we spoke recently about Song of the South. Um, or the other thing that Disney have done is before Dumbo, for example, they've put up a card which says the attitudes or themes within this film may not be representative of what we're doing today. Is editing art the middle point between the two? Is it acceptable? Is you know Should we be looking at these things and having these conversations because otherwise are we doomed to repeat the past if we ignore what happened before? It feels a bit 1984, this whole thing. Matt, where do you stand on this? Well, there's two there's two things about this Roldal story, isn't there? There's the the editing of his work, and then there's the anti-Semitic uh, stuff, isn't there? It's mm-hmm. come out about him as well. Um, the, the anti-Semitic stuff is obviously horrible. Fine. everybody. I don't think anybody disagrees with that, but there's a you know, no, I don't think anybody reading his work as a child would have been influenced in a negative way, in that way from reading his stuff. So I think the two can be separated and and understand that the art and the artist are two different things. You know, there are a lot of rotters out there that are still well loved and beloved, where their views haven't leaked into their art form and mm. i think that's okay you know i can understand why people would not like him and therefore his his craft because of the things he've said but i think you can separate the two and i don't think the one are mutually you know linked to the other around the censorship stuff it does seem all a bit faux outrage and a reason to be annoyed for the sake of being annoyed um i don't get it myself and uh, you know the idea of it being for a more sensitive audience, again, like the Roald Dahl stuff, like is one thing. Uh, censoring things as a happy medium and still keeping them existing and not banishing it completely, but tweaking it, being a happy medium, I don't, I don't agree with. I think, like the Mafia games, for example, having the stuff. This isn't. Rep- this was a representative of the time. And the Dumbo and Song of the South and everything like that. You know, we should understand that this is how things used to be and appreciate that they're not anymore and for right reasons. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that, you know, so what do we what do we do next? Do we remove all traces of, of history, of the Nazis and everything else? Because this was the way, yeah, because this is the way it used to be. And we all, we, we're adult enough to know that it's wrong. So I don't think we should have it taken away from us completely. Um, I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's outrage for the sake of outrage as opposed to outrage for right reasons, personally. It doesn't even feel like it's a left-wing, right-wing thing. It seems pretty universal that everybody hates this decision. So it's a bit baffling. Stu, obviously you've got kids. Would you rather sit down and explain to your kids that Roald Dahl was a cunt or would you rather have... <laughs> And you know, and they can then still read the books, knowing that he was a shitbag. 
or would you rather they have the edited works that don't really mean the same? How do you feel about it, Stu? Um, hmm. Thinking about it that way. I mean, it never did me any harm, did it? I mean, I, to my knowledge, I've never killed a Jew in in person. Um, you know, in a way, in a way, there's. I'd rather have all three versions available. Mm. So the edited version, yeah, which whatever they're doing now to it, fine. The original with a moniker saying this is the attitudes of the time and the version that with, with it removed that way everyone everyone wins if if you are going to like matt said though if you are going to sanitize every single thing there's going to be nothing left <laughs> so where do you draw the do you draw the line at roll doll here because oh it's the latest thing to get offended about i mean the whole offended about thing is complete bollocks to me anyway i it's art. It is what it is. It's it's a time piece. It's not. It's not. A, it's a, not an evolving piece of floating material, is it? It's it's made when it's made. That is it. Tough. <laughs> I'd rather it keep things be left as they are. And if they have to have a little moniker saying people thought bad things when these things were made, then fine. But at the same time, if you're introducing someone new to it. And you say this is what a representation of Roald Dahl stuff would be today. I don't think that's a bad thing in its in of itself, as long as that you know that there's more to the story than that. Just that. My, mm. I think. I think my issue is is that I don't disagree with the argument. I just think they've picked the wrong thing to do it about, because to to say this was representative of the time implies that. The Ku Klux Klan were in his stories, or something like that, and <laughs> yeah. it's that's not yeah. like I. It's a strange hill to die on for a lot of people. This, it's a strange, strange for people to be so annoyed about this. I, I don't get. I just it's a strange one because it's not like the things are deeply racist or sexist or or anything. It's just a few. Like calling someone fat and ugly now just changes to calling someone ugly, as if that's you know like I just like that's better yeah. I just don't I I I just don't understand it. Maybe I just haven't re- researched it enough, and therefore, like everything, you should really have a, a, a an informed opinion on it. Maybe maybe I need to look into it more, but it just seems like a, a strange one for people to be so caught up on when you have uh, so many other things that are really troubling like umbongo the colonial soft, <laughs> soft fruit drink do you know what i mean like you know you, you know what i mean there's there's, there's a lot worse things out there mm. i think than rolled all to for people to get so worked up about i mean the stuff with all this as every time it comes back to it it's like we were taught we were told i mean maybe not you because you, you're amazingly younger than us um that when we when we were nippers, that we were oh, the the whole sticks and stones can break your bones, ditty. You think yeah, it's fucking words. It doesn't matter. It's a story. Grow up. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just grow up. People are not not smacking you over the head with bricks, are they? It's a storybook. It's a storybook for children from 100, 150 years ago. 
it doesn't need anything other than that being put in it. Yeah, but they say fat and ugly because people were fat and ugly. They still are. Just because you can't say it now because you might hurt their feelings. Go on a fucking diet then. It's such a joke that you that every single thing is being watered down. And like you said then, they can take fat away, but they can't take ugly away. Yet, give it 10 years, you won't be able to say fuck all. Mm. Yeah, it, it just, it all feels very culture war doesn't it? It feels yeah. very much like it's the latest distraction from the fact that there's a cost of living crisis going on, that there's actual real issues in the world. But let's argue about art. It just feels a little bit, a little bit worthless arguing about something which is not really that influential in the grand scheme of things, I don't think. Mm. Um, yeah, never mind. Uh, moving on, uh, the non-film question this week is yours, please, Matt. Yes, I was thinking about this. So, a few years ago, the you couldn't move in a pub for pulled pork. There was It was everywhere, and then all of a sudden it became avocados. <laughs> and last year, I think it was halloumi. If I remember correctly, you couldn't move for halloumi, and I love halloumi, so that's fine. Uh, but I want to know what will be 2023's food fad that you, everywhere you'll go, they'll try and shove it down your throat, Stu. Maybe this is just me wishing this into existence, but in the kind of same way, I hope that there's a, there's a return to the fish man in the pub. <laughs> Someone come around with a bag of cockles and mussels. <laughs> Absolutely. There you are. Cockles and mussels. If you're being fancy, some prawns with a little fork. Pound a go. Why not? But this time round, it's five pound a go because it's premium prawns and they're not just caught from the canal and and you're not going to die from it. All it takes is some silly little London pub. One of them, you know, the, the ones with the green bricks on the front, on the corners. One of them places for it to start there. Oh, this is the latest thing. Freshly caught this morning, green prawn or whatever. Five pound for a box of prawns. That's it then. World domination. Okay. It'll happen. Everything's all everything's cyclical. Everything comes round from before. I haven't seen that since well, obviously pre-COVID, but it's probably even before then. So you're talking a good five, six years ago now. Bring it back. Interesting. Andy, what about you? Weirdly, mine isn't a million miles away from <laughs> Stu's um like ideology there. I do think things are cyclical. Like, I jokingly put gruel. But what I mean <laughs> is that I think it will be a case of we'll be going back to basics. Possibly out of an element of necessity because of how things have been going in supermarkets and stuff with, like, you know, it's been more difficult to get your fresh produce and everything thanks to a myriad of reasons that have been going on socio-politically. But I can see us going back towards more of the old-fashioned kind of foods. Something maybe like risottos. I think you'll get a lot of either pasta and rice dishes. Something that's fairly cheap but can be made on a grand scale. So I think that's the way the food is going to go. It's going to be a bit more traditional, a bit more old-fashioned and have quite a cheap base to it Mm. because that's how you maximise profit. So that's what I think is going to happen. At, at least for the next 12 months because of how things have just been going, you know, generally speaking. 
Hmm. Now, interesting that. So I was at a restaurant called Doe yesterday, and uh, just uh, Italian um, pizzeria. There was other stuff on it, but um, and. I've never in my entire life been to a pizza place where you could choose your base with so many different varieties. So it was all like, there was some gluten-free, but it was all dough. But there's like all different varieties. And there was like a turmeric and something. And there was one that was like, uh, there were all different flavors of base before then you chose your toppings and everything. And I thought, man, that's amazing. And then there's like sourdough is everywhere as well. Um, but I think I think the pizza, in its extreme form, is going to be the twentieth. And what I mean by that is pizzas that you put in ninety seconds, you pull out, you throw on a plate, and you sling it at somebody, and then you charge them fifteen <laughs> quid for the privilege because they're Where so the spoons way. They're so quick <laughs> to make, and they're so quick to ship out. And once you've eaten it, because they're so quick to eat, because there's nothing to it, because they're wafer thin, then you. 30 quid up and they've slung somebody else out the door for the next person 15 minutes later. So I think we're in, I think we're in for a sourdough pizza revolution in 23 because this place just the turnover of people was just incredible in and out, in and out, in and out. And there is like a really, a proper marketing model of genius. It, it is amazing. Like, I mean, not to mention New York again, but last year when I went like, any anyone you walk past, any pizzeria that you walk past, there was always a queue outside the door, and it was always going at like fucking nuts. Like there were so many people just going straight through, grabbing a slice or two and out. And as you say, like there's nothing to a pizza, is there really? They're so thin that you can just take it and go. No one's eating inside the building. They're just biting on their way. And I did see, now it can't be targeted ads this because um and I've got nothing against meat eaters. Meat tastes amazing. I just don't eat it anymore. Um, but I keep seeing adverts for smokers, as in like, you know, put some twigs in and smoke your meat mm-hmm. and everything. And I, so I think that might be the gadget of 23 as well, or pubs will use that as a thing. Like, we're now going to smoke all of our stuff on site and in-house. Um, and I think that will be the gimmick of the year as well that comes around. Mm. It'll be the alfresco barbecue pizza. That'll be the uh, the next yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, right, moving on. What have you been watching lately? Stu? Uh, well, I mentioned one of them earlier because I watched it in, in the hospital bed. <laughs> um, other than the Man United game. The Return of Clarkson's Farm, obviously. Uh, Love the, the first season of that. And, uh, and to be fair, how they actually influenced farming as a whole rather than just being a silly little program about him and his friends how they managed to act actual change which i never knew anything about that didn't expect that to be a, a thing to come from a program like that really to so fair play to him um bank of dave based on the kind of loose well loosely based on a, on a real story but again it is it fair to say it's like a, a, a full Monty for the twenty uh, twenty generation? Maybe similar kind of vibes to me. Um, anything that gets Burnley on the uh, on the big screen, other than <laughs> Sean Dyche, is is welcome. And obviously, um, with the start of the Formula One season next week, uh, Drive to Survive 
is back on Netflix, which annoyingly, yet again, they've done it one week before the start of the season. So you have, you've got no choice but to binge the whole thing in the space of a week before the new season starts, which seems a bit stupid, really, when everyone else has gone away from the whole binge model to weekly, when they could have at least given us two weeks this time, but no. Ten episodes in one day, yet again, seven days to watch it. <laughs> and, you know, I've got through five. Don't get me wrong, but it just seems a bit... like It seems like a relic of five years ago now to do that all in one go again, especially when there's a time limit on it. It just seems a bit odd to me. Um, And, yeah, we talked about Knock at the Cabin as well before. Um, I... I thought that was very enjoyable. Yeah, quite a few this time, other than football. <laughs> Mass, what have you been watching? So me and Simon watching everything Star Wars related in timeline order, as I've mentioned before, and we finished uh, Andor and Rogue One before we uh, went away in the van. Um, Andor was spectacular, probably the best, the best thing in that universe since Rogue One. And they're both the same bit of the story. So, yeah, brilliant. Um, Lockwood and Co. was a surprise hit. Um, it's a bit teen dramery, which is fine. But then as the story goes on, it's like they got the green light to start swearing once they'd already recorded the first like four <laughs> episodes. Um, but it was really good. A really fun show that was kind of universally liked i think there wasn't many that i saw criticize it um and really the i know then i started the other thing i've been watching is a real artistic um piece called um below deck yacht edition which is basically a reality (laughs) tv show about people that charter like cruise liners and this is one where they shut like people with far too much money charter this private yacht and you follow the crew around and there's loads of cameras everywhere and it's it's so like contrived and it's all, all clearly fake it's all clearly bollocks but it's one of those things it's just complete disposable popcorn tv that's just just a bit of fun to watch and it's absolutely fine um but i found myself getting hooked on it and it was we watched the season finale in the van last night and god it was a good one <laughs> it had it had everything Incredible. Um, I've been watching a couple of TV shows on Apple TV, Shrinking. Um, Brilliant. It's written created by Bill Lawrence, who you'll know as the showrunner for Ted Lasso. And he's also the creator, director, writer of Scrubs as well. And it's very much in that same sort of comedic stylings as those shows. Starring Harrison Ford, Jason Segar. Brilliant. Really funny. Very much recommend it. It's seven episodes in, I believe, at the moment, and there's ten this season, so there's still a, a little way to go, but that's been fantastic. Another TV show worthy of mention is Poker Face. Um, it's a little bit contrived. So the first episode is basically the main character, Charlie. She's a witness, or she figures out that her friend has been murdered, the gangster who did it is now making her go on the run. And every episode, she ends up in another little town, just trying to survive another week. And while she's there, someone else gets murdered. And she's got this ability to tell when people are lying. 
It's really good. It's just a little bit contrived because I don't understand how so many people get murdered around this woman. But <laughs> if, if you can get over that tiny little nonsense, it's a really interesting show. So I'd also recommend that one. Um, on the film side of things, though, I watched Skinnamarink, which was absolutely <laughs> fucking dreadful. I'd seen quite a few people talk about it on Twitter and a lot of people praising it. And I knew it was going to be a little bit avant-garde and I'm okay with that. Like, you know, my, my stylings for these things. I do like things that are a bit weird. It was 45 minutes before we actually saw a human being in this film. It was just like still images, but they weren't still. It's just nothing was moving while it was being recorded. And there was weird little rumblings in the background, but, it was almost inaudible. You just couldn't tell what was going on. I, I have no idea what even happened in this film. It was absolutely fucking awful. I, I honestly think it might be one of the worst films I've seen because nothing happens in it. I imagine there's probably about half a dozen words spoken in total. It was just a complete nonsense. Wow. I, I really did not have a good time with this. And it was far too long for a film that had nothing happen. Hundred minutes. This <laughs> went I was like halfway through. I'm like, something's got to happen. It, it, it was proper, like, um, what's, what's the term? Sunk cost fallacy. Because I'd wasted an hour, and I thought, well, there's only forty minutes left. Something's got to happen now. And I kept saying that every minute. I was getting deeper and deeper, and I was like, I should have just turned it off. Wow. Awful. <laughs> for, a fil- for a film to out Andy, Andy. <laughs> that's pretty incredible to you know to be too much Andy for Andy. That's that's that that's something. Yeah, it, it crossed the line. It really did. <laughs> and the other film I watched was called Escape Room. Um, and there was a film called Escape Room out in two thousand and nineteen, which had a sequel, which was quite a fun, schlocky B movie where they went from Escape Room to Escape Room, and they tried not to die. This wasn't that. This was a 2017 film with Skeet Ulrich was the big name actor in it. Like, that's the level we're at in 2017, Skeet Ulrich. If you look at the poster for this film, it's got a woman on the ground, like, screaming. There's, you know, the turbine blades around the ground. There's, like, hospital-looking doors. And, and like, it looks like it'd be quite almost a Saw-type film. And you put it on, and it's a guy who runs a an escape room. It's flagging a little bit, so he wants to buy something to make it look better. So he buys this cursed box, because that's going to draw all the customers in, just to see this like piece of decor. Um, and this box has got a spirit inside it. The spirit gets out, and the person in the escape room then tries to kill everyone else in the escape room. There's no sores. There's nothing like that. Like everything on this poster does not appear in this film. <laughs> it was a proper trick. It was terrible, but I did really enjoy it. It was just silly nonsense. So I kind of recommend it, but also at the same time, don't watch it because it is shit. But also do watch it because it's really good fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the next question is yours, please, Stu. Yeah, so with the release of PlayStation VR 2 on, well, last week now, and I've been kind of in an hour and about getting it because I got the first one and I, I enjoyed it for what it was. It was, it was funny. It was, it's almost like the Matrix where you can't tell someone about VR that they have to experience it for themselves. And that is kind of true because 
it doesn't make any sense trying to say, oh, yeah, it's the depth and it's the 3D and it, blah, blah, blah. But I remember that there was a few things in there where back in the day where I'd sit there and there were these little films that were like, say, 20, 20, 25 minutes each. They were free. It was like a concept thing. And it was billed as a, as a VR film, which I've never seen anywhere else since or before. And you basically, you're sitting there and it's almost like like the, the Terminator 2 ride where you go on it and obviously it's, it's rear projection and it's whatever it is and you're on an actual roller coaster yourself. But this is seated. You're in one place. You're not moving. You're in virtual reality, but you're wearing a headset. Is this going to work as a new type of film medium? Because when I watch it, I, I couldn't believe where I was seen. But then at the same time, you ain't going to get many people to do this. So would this interest in either of you? I'm guessing that Andy, since he doesn't even like 3D, the answer is no. <laughs> but virtual reality films, could it work? Hmm. For me, I'd want to experience the technology for curiosity's sake. But as a long-term thing, virtual reality, the whole the whole interest for me of virtual reality is the fact that it's you are the master of your domain in virtual reality. You're playing a game in virtual reality. That's what I want. So for me, just to see the film and not have any control over it and it not be give yourself goosebumps, um, <laughs> then I don't think I've really got a, a, a vested interest in that because... When I'm watching a film and I'm really into it, I'm not seeing anything other than the screen in front of me anyway. And again, this is going back to your point, though, because I've not experienced proper VR with a proper VR headset. So I can't like say for certain that I don't think it would work, but I, I think VR should be in an interactive format, not just a, a, a new gimmicky way to watch a film. Mm, yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Like, I, I would watch one just to say that I've watched one for the same reason that I've done 3D films and that 40x bollocks. Like, <laughs> I, I've done it and I can say that I've done it and checked it off the list. But, like, what would be the point in wearing this headset and just watching a flat screen on that? Like, if, if you're part of it and you turn around and you can see one actor when you turn to the left talking to an actor on your right maybe there's that element of interactivity there. But also, if I'm sat there, I don't want to be looking left and right. Like, that sounds fucking exhausting. If I'm trying to watch a film, I just want to see it on the screen and experience it as intended. I'd be interested, but I I don't think it would have legs. And you'll just end up with, like, the lawnmower man if you make a film about <laughs> VR. So I just don't think it would work yeah, long term, personally. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that, that's... Kind of what I expected, really. But it was kind of like this. It's on the PlayStation Store as it just comes up as Moss or Moss Book 2. And that is effectively, you, you are creating, controlling this little mouse thing. And you look at it from the trailer and you think, oh, it looks a bit like Spyro and blah, blah, blah. But it's the actual depth of the screen that you can't see on the the flat trailer, obviously. So when, you, when you're looking at it with your he the headset on, it's like you're looking into the world and the little mouse is running around in front of you. 
So again, it's really hard to describe what it actually is without feeling it yourself. Mm. But like for that, like you are far enough away, but again, you are having to put something on your head. So it, it probably is a failed idea. And like I've not even mentioned like my usual motion sickness issues that I'd have with these things, but I remember seeing the Blair Witch Project in the cinema <laughs> screen. And I got motion sickness on that. I've seen it since on TV and it was nowhere. I, I was fine with it. But I imagine that that would also be another worry and that there are more people than just me who suffer with that nonsense. So, yeah, I think that would also be another um, issue with it. Mm. Uh, moving on, it's my question next. So one of the films that I watched this week was You People on Netflix. Um, it's a film which is about interracial relationships. They tried to make it a thing. It was really heavy-handed and, to be honest, felt kind of anti-Semitic in parts. I did not think highly of this film at all, even though I kind of like everyone in it. It was a bit of a shitter. But it did get me thinking, who is the best odd couple in film? Um, it can be a couple in the sense of a romantic relationship. It could just be a couple as in two friends who don't quite match together. But... Yep, so what do you think? The best odd couple, Stu. Well, in mind, I mentioned it earlier, planes, trains and automobiles. Young Candy. And, well, Steve Martin, I can't remember. I've, I've watched it so many times, I can't remember their actual names. <laughs> but, yeah, as two people who, who absolutely despise each other, yet end up as happy as they are, it's a it's a great story, but again, there's no world where they should get on in any way, shape, or form. So to see that kind of bond forming throughout the whole film, yeah, you, I don't think you get much more odd than them two. That's a good answer, actually. I hadn't even thought of that one, but yeah, Matt. I mean, I think the answer is Men in Black, but my answer is Leon the professional. <laughs> Um, and it's a, oddly, if you watch the original, like the director cut version, uh, could be a romantic couple as well, which is worrying in mm. itself. Mm. Um, but yeah, but my third, my third choice, um, the, the one that originally popped into my head was Dodgeball. The difference between Vince Vaughn's um, and Ben Stiller's characters being the legitimate polar opposite of each other, but works so well together comedically. I think is really, really underrated. Like, yes, it's a stupid, silly film, but the polar opposite of those characters together makes that film as as fun as it is. Legit, literally called mm. Average Joe's versus, um, you know, Ben Stiller's Mega Gym, which is like those gyms do exist in America. Like, so you see it all like planet fitness gyms and stuff like that. So I think um, as an odd couple, them two work really well. When you said the third one, I, the one I thought you was going to go with was natural born killers. Mickey mm. Mallory. I, I, I don't know. I thought you were going to go with that. Cause I know obviously how much you love that film. So that was the one I was expecting you to have gone for. Uh, my answer. I think I wanted to give mention to Nick Cage in raising Arizona. Um, H.I. McDonough and Ed. I, I thought they were a really good odd couple. Obviously, he's a criminal, she's a cop. But their relationship was really quite sweet together. So I thought that that's worthy of mention. Um, another one that I really liked was Kip and La Fonda from uh, Napoleon Dynamite. I don't know if you know this <laughs> film. It's such a bizarre little odd film that 
people either seem to really, really hate or really, really love. And Kip is just this strange little weedy, you know, paler than pale white guy. And La Fonda is this really like over the top, really sweet, lovable black lady who meet online. And all throughout, you assume that this woman isn't going to have really existed. And then she turns up and they get married and they're really sweet and really funny together. So I, th- I thought they, they were brilliant. Uh, but mine is Lars and Bianca from Lars and the Real Girl. Um, Lars is a recluse who does not, he's not able to meet women and he meets this woman, Bianca, but she's actually a sex doll. And he treats her like she's a real woman and the whole town buy into his delusion almost. Um, and as the town start to accept him for who he is, Bianca she becomes ill and eventually dies. Obviously, it's all in his mind, but it's so sweet and it's so well played. And it's the oddest thing you've ever seen, <laughs> seeing Ryan Gosling fall in love and then fall out of love with a sex doll. So that's my answer is Lars and Bianca. Very good. Matt, your question is last up, please. A New Hope never existed. Uh, so... Any of the characters or actors that have been in it before are up for grabs here because it never existed as a franchise. But cast it now. If it was released today, cast it now. And by that, I mean I want Luke, Han, Leia, Obi-Wan, and the voice of Darth Vader. Stu. Oh, I had one more than that. So, um, Luke... Went with Dan Stevens, who you would have no idea who that is. No he was, look it up. He was in Downton Abbey, um, and <laughs> he was in a few. He's been in a few other things as well since. But again, it, who the hell knew who Mark Hamill was at the time? Yeah, thinking behind it, mm-hmm. Leia, Florence Pugh, obviously, um, Han, John Krasinski. Okay. I think but there's something about he doesn't have to be frumpy all the time. He's, he he can do action as we've seen. Um Obi-Wan <laughs> you had to kind of Jerry some Pedro in there, aren't you? So Pedro Pascal. So <laughs> Obi-Wan. Um the voice of Vader, obviously Idris Elba. And I had Jason Statham as uh, as talking as well. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Would you like to give us uh honestly of all of the bits of a new hope though because I watched it recently that like the, the uh, quote that sprung out to me is when he goes would you like to tell us a station a military station <laughs> that bit from talking just stuck out in my head and I don't know why anyway uh, Andy your casting please um so I've I've gone with the same characters I couldn't remember if Sidious Palpatine was in it um, so I have cast him as well as the Briefly. others. Mm. Uh, Obi-Wan, the elder statesman of the film. So I went with Ken Watanabe. He's got quite a lot of charisma and he's quite a handsome dude. And I feel like he would be, he could sort of pull them all together quite well, I think. So Ken Watanabe was my Obi-Wan. With Luke and Leia, I've gone younger than you did, Stu, on that. I've gone with 19 and 20-year-old, which I think was the age of the actors at the time of the original anyway. Luke, I've gone with Noah Schnapp, who is Will from Stranger Things. And Leia, I've gone with Sadie Sink, 
just to tie it in with that Stranger Things thing. So there is that link, and obviously they then later become, um, we find out that they're related to each other. So I thought that'd be a good angle. With Han, I couldn't think of anyone age-appropriate, but I don't think there's anyone more ruggedly handsome than Jason Momoa. I think he would be <laughs> the perfect sort of scoundrel because he's got that about him anyway. So I thought Momoa would be a good one as Han Solo. For Vader, for both the body work and the voice, Tom Hardy, I thought would be a good shout because he's quite physically imposing, especially if he can bulk up like he would have done for, for Bane. Maybe not do the Bane voice in the uh, the mask, though, I don't think. Um, speaking of voice work, Brian Cranston will be C-3PO. Palpatine will be Patrick Stewart. And for Moff Tarkin, I've gone for Giancarlo Esposito. <laughs> How interesting. So for context, on my drive back today from um, from Wiltshire, this conversation took us from Gloucester to Albury. In the, <laughs> so we were like, we, this got us far. We were talking about this all day. And Sam had said um, Will from Stranger Things as Luke, funnily enough. Um, right, so I'll go in reverse order. Darth Vader, Idris Elba, with his... Share Khan Jungle Book voice. So I was very specific on my notes for this. Uh, Obi Wan is Ralph Fiennes. Uh, is that how you have to pronounce his name? Isn't it Fiennes? Yeah, Fiennes. Fiennes. yeah Fiennes. Um, but I'm gonna have to. You're obviously going to have to put a fake beard on him, or or let it grow it out and 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 let it get a bit grey. That's fine. Um, Leia, I've gone for. Is it Thomasin? Thomasin McKenzie from last night in Soho. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I think that Leia, especially in A New Hope, at least, whilst she has got attitude, she's still quite. Forgive me, if you're listening to this, Thomasin. Um, but she's quite plain in A New Hope, and she, well, she has lip, and she's cheeky in it. She's 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 really young looking. And it's not obviously she's not in the bikini. She's just not in the bikini, basically. So I think that she'd play this. She's like innocent and, and young enough in Last Night in Soho to play this character as Leia. Um, for Han Solo, I've gone for I, I don't know if they say you pronounce his name, but Dakar, 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 Dakar Montgomery, who basically played Billy in Stranger Things. Yeah. Um, Han Solo was meant to be like 28, 29. And that's how old he is now as an actor. Um, he's in Stranger Things. He had that like eighties good lookingness about him, and I think he has that smoky ruggedness that Han had, but maybe not the scoundrelness. I don't know. I'm on the fence, and basically because I need butts in seats, I'm having Harry Styles as Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think he could play the whiny bitch that is Luke Skywalker in A New Hope quite well. <laughs> I think if it was to be if it was to be remade today, so it did exist, I think they would probably get Harrison Ford in for Obi Wan, like to tie it back into the original, and then we'd end up with like Zac Efron would be Han. And Tom Holland, because you've got to have Tom Holland in a fucking film, haven't you, of course. He would be Luke. So I think that's what they'd end up going for if it was to be remade today. They would definitely try and go with some of those, or, or even, I should say, Harry Styles. I don't think I could buy it if they remade it with anyone now, though. Hopefully it's something that we'll never get to witness. Mm, well, we know what their world's like with a, with a reboot. 
Yeah, that's got to be the that's got to be the one franchise out of all of them that will never ever get a reboot of like the original films. Surely, you've got to think just because there's so many legs that it could go on and on forever and ever and tell any story they want, whereas everything else is sort of finite. I think whereas Star Wars is literally a universe, and they could go from you know from one planet to the next and tell a million stories. On every well, one of them. That was the best thing about Andor, is it wasn't a Star Wars story. I know it's Andor, a Star Wars story or whatever it is, but there was so little Star Warsness about it. It mm. was just set in the universe. That's what made it so brilliant. I'd never been so glad not to see like a lightsaber or anything like that than I was in this. It was brilliant. Um, and that's what I think, that's how they need to go with this as much as possible going forward. Like, yeah, we, you know, give us. Give us lightsabers and the force sparingly, but also give us stories about, you know, politics in the galactic and the old Republic and, and all those kind of things mm. as well. Yeah. That's why Rogue One's the best film. Mm. It, it's good. I, I don't know if it's the best film though. I don't know. I mean, that's probably a debate for another day to be perfectly honest. <laughs> we could... We could do what we did with the Marvel thing, all about Star Wars, to be perfectly honest. But, yeah, there we are. Um, right, we'll do a quick quiz, and then we'll say our goodbyes. This quiz is about film colours, so most of the titles have got a colour in the title oh. to make it. Yeah, okay. Right, so I will ask the question, shout out your name, and I will come to you. Right, okay. So I'll start with the difficult ones first, because it kind of fucked up last time by not doing that, I think. Uh, so, right. What film does a retired FBI agent try and track down the serial killer known as the Tooth Fairy? Shout out your names when you know the answers. And it's a, a colour? There is a colour in the title of this film. Uh, oh, no, no. It's not the Black Dahlia something or another with Scarlett Johansson in it, is it? <laughs> Matt Ashbrook. No, no, I don't, no, I don't, no, I don't know. Stu, any ideas? Matt's given was, up on it. I was thinking Manhunter, but that's obviously not going to colour any, does he? And it's not the answer anyway. You're close. Nope. No. Oh. Okay. Oh. Okay. I'll give you the answer. It is. You're going to kick yourself. It is Red Dragon. Red oh, Dragon. Yeah. Pissing out, of course. <laughs> uh, Next question. Barbara Hershey played the mother of the main character in which 2010 film? 2010 film, it won Oscars. Barbara Hershey was the mother of the main character in this film. It has a colour in the title. It's a two-word title. Shut your name out when you know it. This wasn't that long ago, surely? No, it wasn't. No, it couldn't have been that. I was, no, I was way too early. See, look, um, he's typing away. I'm, I'm just trying no. to think. Do you want is a this... clue? I'll give you a clue. It is about a ballerina. Black Swan. Matt Guy, Black Swan. Matt Guy, Black Swan. One point. Great film. Uh, in <laughs> Which 1990 film was based on the 1984 debut novel of one of the world's most famous authors? 
1990 film based on a 1984 debut novel from a world famous author. The author was Tom Clancy. Do you know what the film is? Oh, Stu, Red Dawn. Nope. Oh, oh. Um, uh, right colour rug film. Uh, Code Red. Hunt no. for Red October. It's the Hunt for Red October. Stu with the equaliser there. Uh, next question. The galaxy on the Orion's belt is in which film? Shout out your name when you know the answer. Stu in Ma- the black. Stu, sneak it in there. (laughs) Number six, Isabella Merced played the title role of which family film from 2019? I did not know this, but I don't think I would have had any fucking chance. I don't know if it's Merced or Merced, M-E-R-C-E-D, as Isabella Merced played the title role in which family film? be stunned if either of you two know this one i i the, the film i'm thinking about i think did it couldn't know it was definitely not out that long ago oh no pass pass Stu, any ideas I, i've not even heard this, this name before let alone anyone else no, neither have i you'll know part of the title of this film it is dora and the lost city of gold I think oh, it's dora the, dora the explorer yeah yeah uh, it's a uh, rebuild yeah yeah it's not one i'm i'm that familiar with Mako sharks are made super intelligent in which film oh Stu Deep Blue Sea Deep Blue Sea hell is like a shark fin (laughs) the song at the end of that is the absolute worst I love it (laughs) such a great film Uh, next up name the 2006 New Zealand horror film set on a farm Stu Black Sheep I think, I think Stu edged you there again. What 2012 action film starring Chris Hemsworth was a remake of a 1984 film of the same name? I, I didn't know this. No idea. Chris yeah, Chris Hemsworth film. It's a remake of a 1984 movie. Uh, I've not seen either of these, to be honest, so I would never have guessed it. No, we both out. Okay, the answer is Red Dawn. I didn't, no, I didn't know it was remade, to be no honest. Idea. No. Um, First Red what? Dawn's great. I've not, not seen it. It's not my bag, so no. Um, in what 1999 film does Martin Lawrence star as a thief trying to retrieve a diamond from a police station? <sighs> what I can think of is a bloody thin blue line. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no idea. Martin Lawrence. No. Will I have seen this? I don't know. Um, I, I I remember the VHS cover to it, but I've never seen it. No. Stu, mm. any ideas? No. It is Blue Streak. Oh, yeah. no, I've heard of it. I, I've never seen yeah. it. Yeah. 
I wouldn't have known the story, but I do vaguely have recollections of it. Uh, and the final question, not that it matters, what film about basketball starred Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes? White men can't. Uh, white men can't jump, isn't it? Whatever it's called, it is. is that right? It is. Matt Come Pullen on, Andy. Where where is the colour purple? Where is the green mile? Where is orange is the new black? <laughs> where is where is Betty Blue? <laughs> I thought the nineteen ninety nine film was going to be the colour purple. To be honest, so I'm a little bit perturbed. But yeah, so um, four two, Stu. Well done. Well done, Stu. Well well deserved. Th- yes. There was a few more right answers in that one. In the first attempt. <laughs> we'll put that down as a positive (laughs) right that's us done for this week next week we will be watching a movie our first animated film the crudes um i've not seen it all i know is that emma stone's in it with uh, nick so uh, i'm kind of looking forward to it but yep so the crudes i don't know where it's available check out justwatch.com to see where it's streaming near you or see if you can rent it or whatever i'm sure it's available and out there uh, please make sure you've got us on whatever podcast that you're listening to us on now. And if you can leave us a review, we would truly appreciate it. If you have any questions that you need answering, contact us on cagefightingpod at gmail.com or on the socials at cagefightingpod. And for this week, Matthew, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves. Check in on your pals and have a great and profitable week ahead. Stuart, would you like to say goodbye? Goodbye, everyone. Stay away from the Maldi floors. <laughs> it's goodbye from me, and remember, be excellent to each other. Hello, I'm Troy McClure. <laughs>